Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me, John? <laughs> it is it's episode 7. It's March 25th, 2021. And like I said, you're tuning to episode 7 of the Amen Corner Podcast, your favorite podcast to receive all sorts of Christian news, trending topics, and where we actually get and have conversation about certain things and about certain issues now. Um, want to welcome everybody who's listening um, from different platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or SoundCloud. Wherever you're listening from, thank you for tuning in. Um, follow us on our social media outlets, uh, the Amen Corner Podcast on Facebook, at the Amen Corner Podcast on Instagram, and at underscore the Amen Corner. I don't. Somebody took the Amen Corner at on Twitter. Actually, no, they said it was too long when I first when I first went to type it, and then like. The three that like I actually like suggested somebody had already taken. So yeah. Not cool, bro. So yeah. Anyway, if you go to um, any of our social media handles, mm-hmm. you can see our link tree That's up crazy. there. That's crazy. Right. You can see our link tree up there where all of our social media accounts because I can't think of the ads off the top of my head. But if you go on any of our, our link tree, all of our social media handles are up there. All of the links for our different streaming platforms are up there. And we hope that this show will be very interesting to you. It is the last week of Women's History Month. Um, if you've been tuning in, you know we've been highlighting women in ministry. Wow. And, right, this th- these months are just flying, bro. For, <laughs> like, no reason. But, um... Quick! <laughs> right. But, um, today we really wanted to specifically, like I said, um, most of these episodes that are going to be coming up in the near future, unless some more um, interesting news happens that goes on in the church world, will not really be focused on events or anything that happens, but it'll more so be about certain topics and we'll be delving into and looking into um, both sides of either arguments of important topics um, that can often bring controversy into the church, if that makes sense. Um, So, all right. So, like I said, this topic is going to be about women in ministry, and I think we're going to get a good conversation out of this. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the trending topics. Now, if you've been paying attention, and I know it feels like I'm beating a dead horse when it comes to this, but this has just been a long time coming, and essentially, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a while since we've um, been able to, since we've been covering this story, because there's been a lot of updates that's been going on, um, about the Church of God in Christ quadrennial election. Um, it got to the point where we actually dedicated episode 5 to it, where we um, got a chance to talk about the happenings that were going on with the quadrennial election, the mishaps, the miscommunication that happened. Um, I'm glad to finally announce that the Church of God in Christ on this past Saturday officially elected new leadership. And as of now, the Bishop J. Drew Sheard has been elected as the presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ. Insert clap noise here. I guess I'm gonna have to edit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that into the show then. Uh, <laughs> so um, that's right, Bishop J. G. Sheard. If that sounds familiar, or if that name sounds familiar to you, and you're not a um, specifically into the church world, he is the husband of Karen Clark Sheard, who's one of the lead singers of the Clark Sisters, which is a multi-award-winning and legendary gospel group. Um, 
based, he's based out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, the other members of the general board that were elected were um, Bishop Jerry Macklin, his first assistant, um, Bishop Lawrence Wooten, and I thought this was actually um, pretty interesting. I was actually, um, in order to be able to get the inside scoop on this, and I know he's probably going to listen to this, I want to give a quick shout out to my pastor, Pastor McKinley Moore, who was a part of the General Assembly and who voted and was giving me updates on what was going on. And um, in our church, when the presiding bishop is elected, he nominates his assistant presiding bishops. So the um, Bishop Jerry Wayne Macklin was nominated as his first assistant, and then Bishop Shear chose Bishop Wooten, and I thought this was pretty interesting, Josh, because he, um, Bishop Wooten is the oldest member of the board, of the general board as far as I know. There's a lot of younger individuals on the board now, but he specifically chose Bishop Wooten because he wanted to make a statement to the church and to the national church as a whole that he is not going to be forgetting about the senior citizens in his tenure as presiding bishop. And in order to show that, he chose to honor the father of the general board and select him to be his second assistant presiding bishop, which I think is uh, pretty admirable, I should say. Um, Bishop Brandon Porter, Bishop Cedric Daniels are also members of the board. These are all incumbents. Bishop Daryl Hines, who is an incumbent. Um, Bishop Michael Hill out of Detroit, Michigan, who is a new member of the board. Um, I believe he served a little while as the youth department chairman. Bishop Prince Bryant out of Texas also served as also um, as a new member of the board. Bishop David Hall, who is um, the pastor of our founders church, Bishop Charles Mason in um, Memphis, Tennessee. Bishop Lauren Mann, who for the most part was responsible for um, the broadcasting part of the Church of God in Christ and hosting the pre-show and post-show that would go on during the Holy Convocation. Um, Bishop Malcolm Colby out of Oklahoma and Bishop Charles McClellan out of Wisconsin. Um, the individuals that presented how it is in the um, when, when we do it in the Church of God in Christ is when we vote for the general board um, and then we vote for the office of presiding bishop when we do our quadrennial election. So the individuals who presented themselves to be voted on in the quadrennial election were um, Bishop Sheard, Bishop Macklin, Bishop Porter, and uh, Bishop Daniels, and Bishop Hines. Um, Bishop Hines and Bishop Porter received less than 200 votes, and it ended up being a runoff election between Bishop J. Drew Sheard and between Bishop Jerry Macklin, and Bishop Sheard won the runoff election by 50 votes. Um, so I'm glad that now every, and for the most part, I think the best part of all of this is that despite what individuals were saying, and I'm, I'm kind of going to take some shots here, but <laughs> in, in spite <laughs> of what, uh, outsiders were saying about, uh, how we were going to split and how the church is going to be torn in two because of this election. Um, I don't feel like that's going to be the case because for the most part, there is a wide array of approval that has come based off of the decision of the delegates to vote in Bishop J. Drew Sheard as presiding bishop. So hopefully um, any of the somewhat division that was caused because of this election will now be mended now that the election is over. And here is the big question. Um, will there be a holy convocation in November? I hope so. Mm. I, I just um, That's really been the biggest thing. Um, as some of you may know, because of the pandemic, um, Bishop Charles Blake, who's now our presiding bishop emeritus, um, decided to cancel the Holy Convocation. And that's the first time it's been done in 100 years. Um, the last person to do that was our founder, Bishop Mason, when the Spanish flu pandemic was going around almost 100 years ago from where we are now. 
Um, the reason how, why he had to do that is because our delegates that come to the convocation usually range, as far when I say delegates, I mean individuals in general who come uh, usually uh, come in the amount of numbers of I want to say about forty to fifty thousand people maybe um, every year that come in for the convocation. Um, last year was supposed to be the last year that we were supposed to be in St. Louis, Missouri. And this year is going to be the year that we return to our headquarters city, Memphis, Tennessee, to have our holy convocation. And many people are excited about that. And the question is, will there be a holy convocation? Um, we are still in, even though vaccines are rolling out, and even though um, requirements to get the vaccine are sort of lessening, and more of the general public is beginning to receive theirs, I just, I was still in tier 1A because I am, um, I qualify in the 1824 with um, pre-existing condition. So I was able to get mine yesterday. I just told Josh I got the Pfizer, and my arm is sore right now. <laughs> so, I, I, whatever it takes to get back outside, man. Um, Thanks. <laughs> but for the most part, as far as how vaccination, I think the biggest thing that it will contend on is um, the amount of vaccinations that roll out from now until November and also what the cases look like from now until November. At the end of the day, no matter how you want to look at it, you're going to receive a major response to the opening of the Holy Convocation off the strength of the fact that it's coming back to Memphis. We haven't been in Memphis in about 10 years. So, um, mm. and this is a lot of thing that, uh, this is the thing that a lot of people in the Church of God in Christ have been desiring that um, the Convocation goes comes back to Memphis because in a sense that is our Jerusalem, that is the place where our church has started and has been based since its inception in 1907. So, hopefully cases will go down. And I don't think that even if we do have a Holy Convocation now, I don't think we can do it at full capacity. I think it'll probably be something along the lines of a first-come, first-served basis. And you'll probably have to have your vaccination card when you come in with you. But it's a whole lot of things that will need to be taken into consideration that can't be looked at right now as far as um, what's going to happen with that convention. So we'll see. But just know that if it does happen in November, uh, word to the Jackson 5, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, hopefully. Uh, I'm getting ready. I'm trying to look for rooms. And I'm <laughs> talking to the family and all that now. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. So um, going on to our next trending topic. Uh, this is a little bit of a sadder note than our initial topic. Um, I thought this was pretty cryptic. Um, a pastor was murdered in his home um, after uh, warning his flock or his uh, members that the devil would try to kill them over being witnesses to God's power. Um, according to the article, hours after his flock, after warning his uh, individual members that the devil would seek to kill and destroy them for being witnesses to God's power in the world, David Charles Evans, a beloved Oklahoma pastor, was shot dead inside his home Monday morning where his wife was also oh present. Uh, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation said in a release that just after 1 a.m., officers at the Ada Police Department responded to a 911 call on the 1400 block of North Preston, Ada. They found the 50-year-old Evans who leads the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church severely wounded. Paramedics will later pronounce him dead at the scene. Agents told News 9 that Evans' wife was also in the home. At this point in time, there are a lot of questions that we are trying to work through. Public Information Officer of the OSBI, Brooke Arbaton, said, um, It just didn't seem real. It just kind of seemed like a bad dream. A close friend of Evans told KFOR, He was such a beloved person. 
He's not somebody who has enemies. He's not somebody who has even people who dislike him as far as we know. And it just goes to we send our um, prayers to his family and his friends who have been affected because of this horrible incident. And we pray for his church family. That's just a very sad and kind of cryptic and in some ways eerie story to um, to hear something like that. That's really disheartening. So, with that being said, um, this is the last week for our Women's History Highlight. Um, I was trying to figure out who we were going to highlight for this week, and um, an individual popped up in my, well, an individual that I thought about, uh, or really just came across my Facebook page, um, her story really stood out to me, so I decided to cover her, and that is Mother Elizabeth Dabney. Um, it is unknown when she was born, but she was a young, unknown woman who set her heart to live a consecrated life before the throne of heaven. Um, not much is known about her early life outside of her ministry. Um, all we know right now is that her father passed away when she was young, but her mother was determined to instill in her the values of a life in God. Elizabeth married a very successful singer, and they pursued a self-centered lifestyle, traveling from city to city free from responsibilities. Um, however, it was not long before this life uh, became utterly miserable for the both of them. Elizabeth's husband had been running from a call to preach the gospel since he was five years old, when he used to preach the sticks on the ground. Through a series of shakings in the lives of these young pe- of this young couple, which include several unnatural plagues of roaches, tremor on a train, and serious prophetic words, Elizabeth's husband accepted his call to preach the gospel. Elizabeth wanted her husband's ministry to have a meaningful impact on her city and personality, so she wanted to go to that place where Christian women went in the ancient days. Elizabeth longed for the revelation of Jesus to be made manifest in her heart. Feeling an expectant burden from the Lord, Elizabeth entered into a three-year period of consecration, during which she gave herself to day and night prayer along with extended periods of fasting and Bible study. She said, quote, I never permitted anything to interfere with my conversation with God. I suffered. The flesh on my bones was numb. I fasted, not eating or drinking natural food, but I had a direct supply from heaven. Elizabeth had to press into the Lord because the enemy repeatedly tried to discourage her, um, using other believers to convince her that she was too radical. It was during those times that Elizabeth testified of the Lord. He amused me with the scriptures. He supported me with his arms. Through the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in prayer meetings, some of Elizabeth's most vocal critics witnessed miraculous healings take place in the lives of their own families. Chemically burned eyes were completely restored, and dead men brought back to life. When her three-year period of consecration ended, the Lord had appeared to her in a furnace and said that he had anointed her in the place of prayer and that she had traveled with her prayer ministry. Many people would be saved. He told Elizabeth that the nations would gather with her to pray and that she must be mindful of the dangerous deception of popularity and prosperity. Elizabeth began traveling all over America, and the Lord confirmed his word to her by establishing the testimony of Jesus in the hearts of thousands of men and women, old and young. The local church that her husband had been shepherding for years also experienced tremendous growth and was given to them in the form of a beautiful new facility completely paid for excuse me, in advance called the Garden of Prayer. 
Elizabeth's prayer ministry continued to flourish at the Garden of Prayer and thousands of people were added to the kingdom in an atmosphere that was, quote, pregnant with the presence of God. The Lord made manifest his glory through healings of thousands of people through all manner of sickness and disease. The fascinating testimony of Jesus on the earth is simply in the overflow of the life of a young African-American woman who set her heart apart to live a consecrated life to the Lord. And um, if you all want to read more about her, she actually wrote a book called, I believe, What It Means to Pray Through, where she talks about her prayer techniques and the things that, and more so about her story um, as far as her life and her consecration. So I believe that her story was very interesting to me, and I just wanted to cover her and highlight her. On this last part of Women's History Month. All right. So with that being said, I think it was pretty good to lead a to lead into our main topic by um, highlighting a special um, woman of God who God used mightily to get into our topic about women in ministry. Um, as we progress in the different years and the different times, um, we're beginning to see um, in the recent years more women who are becoming prominent preachers, pastors, and evangelists. Um, for example, I can think of um, Joyce Meyer, who, pers- who essentially, if you're around our age, you grew up watching her on TV. Um, Sarah Jakes Roberts nowadays, her and her sister, Corey Jakes Coleman, um, I'm just gonna pretend you didn't do that, <laughs> Josh. over here clicking it. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, both of Judy Jake's daughters, who definitely, who definitely uh, got got the got the show enough preaching gene from 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 pops. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> but just to name a few, there are a lot of examples of uh, very strong and prominent women who God is using mightily. Who have really come into the forefront. However, in many reformations, in many denominations, and in many Christian sectors, there is still a debate about the validity of women in ministry from the stance of the Bible. Um, there are arguments against women in ministry. Let me get my phone for this, make sure I read the scripture. Um, and most of those arguments specifically uh, stem from a scripture. That comes from the book of Timothy, chapter 2, verse 12. Um, it says, But I suffer a woman, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to us usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And people have used that scripture to validate and to support their argument for the fact that women should not be in ministry. Um, however, there are many theologians, and to preface this, I am not a theologian, I am not in theology school, so uh, please, if I make any errors, I'm discharging to my head and not my heart. These are just um, arguments that I researched from the basis of different theologians as far as to being able to adequately support um, the argument for women in ministry. And many of these theologians say that essentially the scripture in First Timothy 2 and 12 is very loosely translated. Um, when it comes to that part of the scripture where it talks, where uh, Paul talks about the usurping of authority, that word authority um, 
translates in the Greek to the word authentine, which really comes from the Greek word authenteo. I sound like a, the cliche black preacher when I say that. I'm sorry. When it comes from the Greek and the Hebrew and the root of the Aramaic, I'm, I'm not doing all that. I'm just trying to explain <laughs> where the word comes from. So y'all, y'all just bear with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to exegete the pericope of the text. You know, I'm just trying to. Right. I'm just trying to give a little context to the argument. So just, just forgive me on that. But essentially, on a serious note, it's really talking where um, the theologians argue that the word authentine, the translation of that, more so has to do with a dominating power or an abuse of power, not specifically talking about church hierarchy. There are theologians that argue that that is the only place where that word authentine is used when it's talking about the man and the woman. And when it's talking about uh, the woman not to teach and usurp authority over the man. Usually they say that um, in the translations where Paul is talking about church hierarchy and what the authority of the church hierarchy is, that that word authentine is not seen. So um, that also brings up a little bit of speculation concerning the translation of that word. Um, also, some of the arguments are due to the fact that some people think that Paul may be may have been talking about marriage and not ministry. Um, if you look in, and th- that's because of the fact that if you look into the first into that chapter of Timothy, where it's talking about men and women, um, it's more so. When I say that men and women, it's more so talking from a plural standpoint. But when you get to that twelfth chapter. It's talking from a singular standpoint where it's saying the man and the woman. So many people think that that's talking about marriage, not only because of that, but because the verses following that also talk about Adam and Eve and their union. So that's one of the um, arguments that does come up when it talks about women having authority. Um, the, also, the thing is, also the uh, the second arg- the third argument that I wanted to talk about that is highlighted in that is that this passage of scripture is not adequately enforced across the board. You have some reformations that will allow women to teach, that will allow women to preach, that will allow women to hold and conduct revivals, go and speak across the country, be itinerant ministers, but they do not allow them to hold the position of a senior pastor or a bishop. You have some reformations of churches where all the women in the church sit in the back this, this is actually, I've actually heard about this, where all the women sit in the back and they raise their hand when they want to speak. So the problem that many people see with that scripture is that it is not fully enforced across the board. You have some who allow them to teach. You have some who allow them to preach. You have some who just say you can't be a pastor or you can't have certain positions. Um, I've even heard of the fact that they do allow women to teach and preach, but they don't allow women to come up on the pulpit teach and preach so it's, mm. it's a whole lot of um, things that are not fully translated or fully not, not the translated is the word I'm looking for but it's not fully enforced um, adequately and um, in the same way as far as how denominations um, classify that so with that all being said and I hope that did enough to set the stage as far as what the arguments are but um Let's get into these million-dollar questions. So the first million-dollar question we have is, how do you feel about women in ministry? 
Um, I'm going to put it plainly, all theological arguments aside. Here's how it is. God, in my opinion, God uses whoever he wants, whenever he wants, to do whatever he wants. I'll say that again. God uses whoever he wants, whenever he wants, to do whatever he wants. And here's the thing that I, I'll, I'll even... I'm not going to really going to get into the um, translation of the scripture because, like I said, I'm not a theologian. I'm not really uh, as versed as I sh- as versed as far as um, somebody who is in that um, space or in that range as far as what I should say on that. But I will go to the last part as far as how that scripture is not adequately um, enforced. If you think that if you're using that scripture to not validate women as preachers and yet you still let the women in your church teach by the technicality of just looking at that scripture without any translation in my opinion you're already out of order because it Mm. says I Paul says specifically I suffer the women not to teach so if you're allowing your women the women in your church to teach Sunday school if you're allowing the women in your church to give inspirational sermons, if you're allowing the women in your church to go preach and prophesy in different and be itinerant ministers in different areas, but you will not let them be a senior pastor, and you're using that scripture to validate that, already you're out of order. Because it says to teach. So <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like like if you're gonna if you're gonna enforce it, enforce it all the way. But if you're just gonna keep using that to to validate your misogyny, then I wouldn't continue to use that scripture. Um, also, going into the pulpit thing, um, I heard Bishop G. E. Patterson, who's one of my favorite preachers, um, say that we we don't allow goat. right we don't allow women in the pulpit, but we allow politicians who smell like last night's liquor to come in and stand in the pulpit and pander the black vote. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's a whole bunch of legalism and misogyny in the church that still needs to be addressed and still needs to be talked about. And here's the thing for me. I don't, I can't think of the scripture off the top of my head, but there's a specific scripture in the Bible where God literally uses a donkey to talk to a prophet. <laughs> there's wow, scripture I know where, exactly like I said, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head uh, of where the reference of it is. Uh, um, I'm going to see if I can find it in the, uh, I'm going to see if I can look it up on my phone real quick. Um, but essentially, my thing is this. It kind of makes sense. It doesn't make sense at all for me. Um, for I think a, it's in Second Peter. It might have been, actually no, it was in Numbers. Numbers 2 20 I'm sorry, y'all, for just all this dead space. <laughs> I literally just thought of, I didn't mean to, I meant to put this in my outline, but you know how we do it around here. <laughs> oh, man. So, it, uh, Numbers twenty two twenty eight says, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? This is out of the NIV. Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey that you have always ridden to this day? Have I not been in the habit of doing this to you? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord said unto him, Why have you beaten this donkey these three times? 
I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless as one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three, these three times. If it had not turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. So the angel was getting ready to kill Balaam, and the donkey saw the angel and turned around. Balaam hits the donkey, and the donkey begins to talk to Balaam and try to talk some sense into him. Which is why I was saying that literally God put his word or tried to put a warning in the mouth of that donkey. Because donkeys don't talk. Let, 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 let's, let's address this. Donkeys, <laughs> donkeys, don't, donkeys don't talk to humans. That's not normal. So we know that has to be an act of God. <laughs> but to see something like that and to preach something like that, which lets us know that God uses anybody or anything that he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to, and then for us to come back and turn around based off a scripture that according to theologians, that according to theologians may or may not be translated very loosely. And then for, come, for us to come back and say, oh, like women can't do this and women can't do that is hypocritical. And we can, we can, it's, there's no way we can get our, in our pulpits and say that God can do this and God can do that. But, but he, but we can't let women preach. Like, come on now, let's, let's do better than that. And then we look at it this way. This is another th example in the Bible. The first person to announce to the disciples that Jesus was alive, which essentially is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even though that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, the first person to deliver that news to the disciples was a woman. Because was it not in one of the gospels where Mary uh, found Jesus at the tomb, and then Jesus was the gardener, and she realized that it was him, and he said, go tell my disciples that I'm still here. Was, was that was that not a part of the scriptures? <clears throat> so, there's so many examples where we can see that God uses anybody that he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to. And it is not up to us to use legalism. It is not up to us to misconstrue scriptures. And it is not, unto, it is not up to us to, what am I trying to say? To use legalism to, so essentially all I'm trying to say is that we should stop using legalism, misogyny, and misconstrued scriptures to try and paint this narrative that God uses only one gender. He does not. Mm. <laughs> Dude, I, I, and even then, I, if you paid attention to our Women's History Month highlight of Reverend Jerina Lee, who was the first preacher in the AME church, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit when a man was struggling to get through his sermon and she was moved on by the Holy Ghost to stand up and to continue it and it uh, and it caused a shift in the minds of Bishop uh, Allen who was the founder of the AME church and who was the gatekeeper pretty much of the rule that women could not preach because she had went to Bishop Allen and asked him about if women could preach or not and, and he denied her but after he heard how God used her, then he was able to give her that pass. So like I said, don't don't allow uh, legalism and things like that to be able to keep you or to, or to try to keep God in a box that he's too big to fit in. So that answers the first question. The second question is, what steps can the church make to become more, ex well, really, before I get into that, I'm going to allow Josh to answer that first question because I think we should 
go through and do that, and then we'll go through and answer the second one. So, Josh, for the first question, how do you feel about women in ministry? Honestly, I like when when when, when ugh, I can't even talk. <laughs> but when um women are in ministry, I actually like it. And the reason why is like, cause and that's, that's actually really crazy. Cause like when I actually heard the question, I really just just went back um to like what I remember. So I remember, you know, back in when was it? I think I was in like middle school. I had a friend of mine, and you know, I told him I go to church, and like, you know, I told him that my mom is actually one of the pastors at my church, right? And she was like, not, well, he was like, he was like, he was telling me he was like. Like, my mom doesn't think that, you know, women should be pastors. I also, I, I forgot be. you are really versed in this because just to give you all context and sh- show your mom this when, when we get through. Shout out to Pastor Hattie. He's one of the pastors on staff at Greater Shallow Church. Josh's mom is actually a pastor on staff at Greater Shallow. So he probably knows more about uh, the persecution of how women are treated than I am. So floor is yours, brother. Not facts. Because it's like... I remember when, like, one of my friends, he told me that his, he told me that his mom doesn't believe that women shouldn't be, like, pastors or, you know, leaders within the church. I was like, why does she think that? Like, he, ne- he never gave me an explanation, but it's actually crazy because, you know, we see people like Sarah Jakes Robert. Uh, we actually see um, Joyce Meyer and uh, I actually have a friend that gave me a book suggestion from Joyce Meyer called The Battlefield of the Mind. Mm-hmm. And I must say that that book is, like, a very, like, it's a very great book. Like I've seen a lot of people read that book and everything like that. So definitely, you know, women definitely have some type of empowerment when it comes to not even just the community, but especially in ministry. Yeah. And you know, when it comes to that, right. When it comes to women in ministry, I believe that like, yes, like I believe that women should definitely be pastors. Definitely should be, definitely should be preaching the word of God. Cause I feel like, you know, everybody should definitely, you know, everybody, not even just women should just definitely you know, preach the word of God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Definitely should, you know, do what God calls him to do. And I, I, that's that's like my belief when it comes down to it. And, you know, like, you, and like the thing is like, I, I think what Mike said was like, you know, you never see a lot of people that, a lot of women that are like senior pastors of a church. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really true. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't see that a lot. And, you know, I think, think Joyce Meyer isn't Joyce Meyer like a like a main pastor of her church or or something I know like she was that. doing she had her own itinerant ministry I don't know if I don't know about her um, church as far as um, if she has one I may have to look that up but yeah. one thing I want to just touch on I haven't let you up before real quick but one thing that I want to touch on is that um, I guess what we're seeing a lot of oh what we're seeing a lot of now is a lot of women who are preachers and most of the times when we see those women in church and who have churches, it's usually they are alongside of their husbands. It's pretty rare mm-hmm. that we see a ministry with just the woman who is leading it standalone. And I think that's something that I would personally like to see a lot more of in the future. But go ahead. That would be amazing. I, I, I feel like that would definitely be amazing. Like, um, woman be, like, senior pastor. Like, I, I always wondered, like, that's crazy, because now I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, yo, like, I've never really seen that as much, like, that's crazy, but I just, I just feel like it's definitely important for women to be in ministry, because I feel like, 
when it comes to like you know young ladies you know they need that woman figure yeah to look up to you know what i'm saying i feel because like yes like you see like a lot of men that preach a lot of men that are pastors of the church and that are senior pastors of the church or you know the bishop of the church and you see and you see that right you see that but like i feel like one more thought you know what I'm saying? i gotta get some water real quick but i do too <laughs> On air water break, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, but but Larry, what was I saying? So like, you see a lot of bishops, a lot of pastors of like that that you know that run the church. Yeah. But like, when it comes to like the woman, like yeah, they have women that preach. And one thing I realized, I'm like, yo, like a lot of women are starting to get empowered by by women that preach yeah. nowadays. I'm like, okay, bet. Like you know, Sarah, you got Sarah Jakes Rock, you got Joyce Meyer, you got um. I forget Jared, Sarah Jakes Roberts' sister's name. Oh, but, Cora. Um, Cora. Cora. Yeah, and it's crazy because she actually came to Shiloh. Yeah. She, came to, she went to Shiloh. <laughs> so, yeah, like, we have all, like, you know, there's all these pastors and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I can't name every single one on the top of my head, but I definitely feel like women's ministry is definitely, in need, it's definitely you know, needed, especially nowadays because this generation that we live in now, yo, that's all I, that's all I got to say. Um, I'm done. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah I definitely but, think that you yeah. made some good points. Um, so the next question that I want to get into is: What steps can the church make to be more accepting of women in the church? Um, and I, like I said, I think it's gonna require us to be more sensitive to the anointing and less bound by legalism. If that makes sense, I think that. Like I said, God uses and moves on whoever he, and I'm going to repeatedly say this in the episode, but he moves on whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to. And like you said, I have, even myself, had the experience of witnessing and seeing individuals who are women, who are pastors, whom God has used mightily. For example, and I hope you listen to this, our co-pastor of Shiloh, Pastor Christina Davis, our overseer, Overseer Juanita Davis, your mother, even individuals that we look at on TV, all of us at least have some women that we know that God has used. And for the most part, and I'm going to bring up an interesting point when it comes to the black church, we need to be more accepting of women in ministry because let's be honest, nine times out of ten, most of our churches were started as prayer meetings in women's homes. Facts. That is a fact. Most of our churches, brother. I'll say that again. Most of our churches started off as prayer meetings in women's homes. That's a fact, bro. So, like I said, God can use anybody, no matter who. Exactly. And we have to learn how to be more accepting of God's anointing. That's a bar right there. Tweet that. We have to learn how to be more accepting of God's anointing. And I believe that when we do that, that'll open up the floodgates. And I believe that, like I said, a lot of there are a lot of women in the church who have who will only hear things as far as marriage, as far as sexuality. And as far as those things go, from the perspective of a man. 
And a lot of times, a lot of the men in our church who give that perspective have the tendency to give a misogynistic approach on it. And I believe that they do. we do need a lot of women in leadership and women figures who will be able to not only allow, give our women in the church a safe space to be able to talk about these certain things and can give them a role model or a figure to look up to, but I believe that the more women we see in the church, the wider the door will open for more women who are young and who want to be preachers and who want to be pastors and who want to lead churches. Like we think about it when it comes to, um, I'll even compare it to the, the representation of people of color in movies. The more we saw people like Denzel and Jamie Foxx and those individuals, like like in, even Taraji P. Henson and Angela David and Angela um, Lewis, I'll say. I, I meant to say, I said David earlier. But um, when we saw those people come into the realm of Hollywood, then they inspired the Chadwick Bozemans. You know, they inspired the Lupitas. They inspired those people that we look up to today and that opened the door for many other people to be able to come in and accept those roles and be more accepting of those roles. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's what I'm saying. If, if we begin to accept the fact that God has a say-so of who he wants to use, our women in the church will be more empowered. We can begin to finally deal with the toxic masculinity and misogyny that still plagues our churches. And that it will open the door for more women to be able to um, step forward and for the ministry and that we can see more women being used by God. All right, I'm through. Go ahead, Josh. So the question was, what steps can the church make to be more accepting of women in the church? Mm, so well, I believe that um, the church can be more accepting when it comes to women. Um so, okay, repeat that question one more time. My fault. Um, so what steps can the church make to be more accepting of women? What steps? Okay, so like what steps can the church do to be more accepting of a woman? In ministry. Specifically. Hmm. In ministry specifically. Hmm. Wow, that's actually, hmm, that's actually a question I never really like thought about. So I had to think um, about my own thing too. <laughs> yeah, like, wow. Sheesh. So like literally like when it comes to like women in the church and you know stepping stepping into ministry and how to be more accepting of it and like it's like a is it like specific like being like a senior pastor like being like or anything matter, man like, senior pastor preaching like I said since it's not really enforced in in a one size fits all rule for churches I would like to at least expand that into women being able to be in leadership in general. Oh, facts. Of course. I feel like definitely the church should be, I feel like the steps should be like, you know, making sure that the church is open to it. Yeah. And like, they should be open. Like, it should be open to it because mind you, everybody's accepted in the kingdom of God. So it's like, you know, why is it like, I feel like it shouldn't be a problem that women should not, that, that women should not lead. They should lead. <laughs> I feel like women should definitely lead as well besides just men. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that when it comes to, you know, church, everybody says, oh, the man's a pastor, this and that, uh, all this type of stuff. But literally the steps that the church should take is to definitely be accepting of, you know, leadership. Like, for example, if they want to, if, if a woman wants to have a woman's ministry and they come with the idea of a woman's ministry, let them do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what about a, 
what's another ministry in the, in the church like a Even um preaching like a nursing pastor, nursing like preaching, preaching pastoring anything that they would like to do as far as leadership as the church goes now nah, facts i feel like that should be accepted like the and like mind you i feel like another thing too is the it's actually crazy cause i actually watched the um i watched the um a documentary on it today it wasn't a documentary it was a um it was a vlog that i feel like the church sometimes the church can be so traditional yeah very traditional when it comes to things like and and i get it like you know like following church traditions and stuff like that but like what's what's that other word um not traditional but um i can't even think of the word in my head um bro i can't even think of the word but the opposite <laughs> the opposite <laughs> but yeah like but basically because like yo like gotta understand like there's te- there's like teenage girls like you know children that are young girls that need that leadership like for example like not even just women in ministry when it comes to you know preaching at the church or this and that but like sunday school we're talking let's talk about sunday school let's talk about um like we need sunday school teachers we need um i said children's church because some some Sunday, some look, Sunday school teachers, youth department, um, leaders, leaders, um, like, ministers, missionaries, senior pastors. Exactly. The whole nine. It's all needed. And it's just it's just basically based on like the church just setting the foundation that everybody can be accepted to do anything. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. what it is. Just the foundation of the church and just how it needs to be shown throughout. Like because that's definitely very important because. Some churches crumble, to be honest. There's some churches that do crumble. And because of foundation, they don't set the foundation. I think that's it. I think I said it all had to say. Everybody say, yeah, you definitely touched off the points that I was trying to say as far as, like, um, that's what I was sort of trying to get towards with the whole legalism thing, that it's a lot of traditions that are in the church that are more so tradition. And really, um, Pastor Phil even talked about this a lot. There are a lot of traditions that are done in the church that are based upon how slave times were. Like, if you think, uh, I think he actually, I remember he said this in a sermon that the whole thing where you, when you leave the church, you put your one finger up, that's a slave practice. The slaves used to do that when they would uh, let their masters know that they were tipping out that's to go crazy. to the bathroom or anything that. like that, and they would put their finger up so the master would know that they were leaving, and they would put their finger up when they were coming back in to let the, pa- to let the uh, slave master know that they were returning. So it's a lot of things in the black church, and even then, I was I was looking on Twitter. You know the white gloves that the uh, the ushers wear. That was because the yeah. um, that was because the white people didn't want uh, thought that if they uh, that if their money touched black hands that it would be contaminated. So they made the usher to church. Nah, and they, I peeped that. Who were mostly slaves? They would come in and they would be, um, they they would make them wear white gloves. So it's a lot of traditions in the church that are not based in scripture or that are based in misconstrued versions of scripture that we still uphold that is to the detriment of the church. That's crazy. And it's a lot of things that we want I to hold on to. Like crazy. I said, that's, that's to the detriment that we need to actually sit down and have a legitimate discussion about in order to be able to learn about how we can move on and establish traditions that are based in scripture and that benefit the church as a whole. Facts. 
though. That thing with the gloves is crazy. That's crazy. It I was just like saw a whole, it the I, other day. Yeah, but I say it was a whole thread of stuff that like we do commonly in church that's like based in slave tradition. <laughs> like it's a whole that lot of stuff. But like I said, the more we begin to have those conversations, the more we begin to unlearn some of that stuff, and the more we begin to create new and healthy cultures and environments. So that's all I have to say about that. I we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope something was said that is of substance. Like we said, if you are following any of our social media handles, um, don't quote me on the Twitter one. You're going to have to go to the link tree for that one because I just picked a random name for that one. But I'll say for the Facebook, the Amen Corner Podcast, if you search it up. And then for Instagram, at the Amen Corner Podcast. If you go to any one of those, click the link tree. You can click the... Um, streaming platform of your choice and listen to it from there and also all of our social media um, <coughs> accounts will be connected to that um, like us share the share the podcast with somebody that you know that will be interested in something like this um, we have a lot of interesting episodes that are going to be coming up um, we've already passed the halfway mark of what is required for us to do um, we have uh, hopefully I know that uh, Josh I told you that Pastor Phil said he would um interested to come on so we'll hopefully be able to schedule an interview with our senior pastor uh pastor philip davis who is a excellent individual i want to talk to him about his journey and how he became the pastor of greater shiloh church what he's learned along the way um hopefully i can be able to get some other interviews in here and we'll just have a rest of this great first season and hopefully if y'all keep rocking with us we'll continue on past the required date so i want to say thank you support us um, like us, share us, like I said, share the podcast with somebody that you know, and we want to wish you a wonderful weekend, stay safe, if you've, um, taken the vaccine, don't get too crazy outside, <laughs> um, don't go to, yo, let's, I, I gotta say something, oh lord, yo, so like, everybody in Miami right now, oh yeah, go home, go home, <laughs> go home, Roger, <laughs> go home, Oh, we're never going to get out of this pandemic if y'all don't get... That has turned into a... That is a free-for-all out there. <laughs> but yeah, go home. Yeah, for real. Stay away from large crowds, social distance. We don't say this anymore, and I feel like we should, but wash your hands, bro. Like, I hope y'all... I hope y'all are going out here just like with unwashed hands thinking y'all finna beat COVID vaccine or not. Like, wash your hands, bro. Hand sanitizer, wear your mask, social distance, extra PPE if needed. It's real out here, y'all. And if we all do our part to be able to make sure that we can get out of this, then we will. So, thank you so much. I know we've talked a a whole lot and y'all probably sick of us. But thank you so much for joining us here on the Amen Corner Podcast. My name is Michael Purvis. And my name is Joshua Powell. And we will see you here again next Friday. Why you mad? Why you mad?